Well, we know what one did. He drew his sword. <laughs> so the question is, how did the leadership respond? Jesus walks up and he says, Who are you, who'd you come here for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. They're all on the ground. Now, how did the leadership respond at that point? They didn't. They did not respond. I find this a bit amusing because it suggests that they were all dumbfounded and stunned to the point that they needed to be reminded that Jesus had asked them a question. How do we know that? John 18, 7 says this. The second time, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I told you that I am he. They were so stunned, they couldn't even respond to what Jesus had said. I think it's kind of funny in a way. I am he, everybody's on the ground, nobody's saying a word, everyone is dumbfounded, overwhelmed, and stunned, and Jesus goes, who'd you come here for? Let's get this going, says Jesus. So Jesus creates another opportunity to protect the apostles. In John 18, 80, he says, I told you that I am he. Here it is. So if you seek me, let these 11 go. I think it was that stark. There's 800 people on the ground. I don't think they've gotten on their feet yet. And he says, I told you I'm Jesus of Nazareth. And if it's me you're after, let these 11 go. They're the only 12 men standing. Jesus steps toward the crowd, thus placing some space between him and himself. He invokes the name of his father, knocks everyone over except the apostles. He commands that the soldiers leave the apostles alone. So here we see the stark division that Jesus has created. The division is between light and darkness, believers and doubters, and the saved and the lost. Just like today. The difference is between light and darkness, believers and doubters, and those who are saved and those who are lost. Same division. On the side of the lost, and there are hundreds of them, many things united them. There's a reason those particular 800 or 700 people were there. Those particular people. And why were they there together? Well, there were things that united them. This is what united them. Politics. Wealth. Friendships. Ambitions. Dreams. Power and prestige. Now, remember that Judas is with them at this point. He's in the darkness. On the other side are the saved, and there's 11 of them. Jesus, of course, is God. And there is only one thing that united them, and it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else united them now. The shift had happened. They knew to the point that they were willing to take two small swords and fight 600 Romans. 
What they have in common is Jesus Christ and what Christ has required them to lay aside are politics, wealth, friendships, ambitions, dreams, power, and prestige. It's what holds, it's what holds the world together and it's what divides God's people. Remember, Jesus says some really difficult things. You know, if you don't love me more than your mother, your father, you're not worthy. One man said, look, I'm going to follow you, but can I go bury my father? He goes, nope. Now or never. Has he said that to you? It's now or never. So we see that he was protecting his apostles. That's point A. Point B. And they're not equal length, as you can see, so... We see in Luke that during Judas' confrontation with Jesus, the apostles said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And we read the following in John 18.10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. So what was at stake here? Jesus is witnessing this. Lord, shall we draw our swords? One account says, uh, uh. this account says something happened before the uh, ad. What was at stake here as far as Jesus was concerned? Everything was at stake here. Everything. Peter wasn't aiming for the servant's ear. He was aiming for his throat. He was trying to kill this guy. What would have happened if Peter had killed this servant? In this scenario, what do you think? Peter would have been arrested and probably executed. At which point, the statement Christ had made earlier would have been untrue. Satan was doing everything in his power to keep Jesus from going to the cross or to nullify the impact of the cross. All Satan needed was one false prophecy or one broken promise to render powerless the mission of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus could have still gone to the cross had Peter killed this guy and was taken away because now Jesus spoke something that wasn't true so he would have hung on the cross in vain. It wasn't that they couldn't take him to the cross. It's just that it wouldn't fulfill God's mission. Matthew twenty six fifty says this, And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus, we know this to be Peter now, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Verse 52, Do you think, Peter... that I cannot appeal to my Father? And He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? Now, earlier we learned that a cohort of soldiers equals 600 men. A legion equals 6,000. Jesus making a very powerful statement here. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than 72,000 angels? 
72,000 angels against 600 Roman soldiers and a temple guard with clubs. But there's more. A good question might be, well, how powerful are angels when it comes to war? 2 Kings 19.35, And that night the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of Syrians. Let's see, 72,000 angels times 180,000 each is 13,320,000,000 people. We don't have that many people in the world today. Isn't that amazing? See, what Satan was trying to do, he was trying to make Jesus into a liar so that the cross wouldn't matter. So we learn, number one, nothing surprises Jesus. Jesus takes control. And finally, third point, purpose of the cross. What point is Jesus trying to make to Peter? He actually tells us in John 18, 1, Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? It's interesting where humanity finds its compassion landing at times as compared to where the compassion of the Scriptures land. The cultures throughout the years has made Judas the victim. He's not the victim. He's a perpetrator. He's a betrayer. He's a murderer. He's a thief. The Bible goes through all these things. And when he had a final choice, he still chose to betray Jesus. Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Our compassion falls with Jesus. can paraphrase that maybe, and it might be saying this. Peter, killing my enemies is not the answer. Now, that makes sense to me. Does it make sense to you? You're not going to hurt my Savior. And we might say, we will die trying. That's been said before in the Scriptures, right? Peter, killing my enemies is not the answer to this. I could have done that any time I wanted. That would have been easy. Rather, the way of my Father is to provide a means for them to be born again. To become a new creation. To be formed in my image. My Father and I agree that I will drink this cup that will make this possible for all who believe. And as a result, will become my children. He might even have said, you know, Peter, the guy that you tried to kill, you cut his ear off. So here's the first thing I have to fix. So they're going to arrest you for that. He touched the side of his face and restored his ear. And he might have said, we have no way of knowing this. By the way, Peter, the guy you cut, you cut his ear off, 
he received me the next night. We don't know that. Out of 800 people seeing this, do you think maybe three at least would say, I think there's something special about this guy. What if he is who he says he is? What then? They would start weighing it out, right? What, what do I have to give up in order to be with him? Same thing we ask every day. What do I have to give up today to be with my Savior? Now, we're not talking about abandonment. We're talking about relationship. You know, my kids, whether they like it or not, I'm their dad. And no matter what they do, I'm always going to be their dad. You know how they trace it? It's called DNA. They can change their name. They can change where they live. They can have plastic surgery. They can live out in the middle of nowhere. But if someone finds them and says, who's your dad? And they say, we don't know. Yeah, it's Tom Shoemate. Because here's the DNA. I hate Tom Shoemate. But he's still your dad. That's what I hate. And so I, I said this one time when I was doing concerts. They go, we're going to pray for you and your son afterwards. <laughs> I said, good, because he's awful. So... Here's the point. Jesus said, Ten people are going to receive me tonight. And we say, I haven't followed as closely as I should. I'm still your dad. By whose DNA? Christ's. When you receive Christ, you are a new creation. And your identity shifts from who you were to a child of God. And no matter what you do, you are still a child of God. Now, it may destroy your relationship with your Heavenly Father, but it will not destroy your identity. I know that's hard for some people to hear, but I'm grateful. So Christ intervened for three reasons, to protect his apostles, protect his mission, and to fulfill this prophecy. This is to fill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one, even Simon Peter. I have not lost him. So that was a fulfillment of prophecy. That's another reason Simon Peter was stopped and this man was healed. It was for the cross. Jesus says no more of this. He touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. It's because they were cowards. By the way, they're not the victims. Jesus is the victim here. When I was with you day and night of the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And within hours, he would be on the cross. Then they seized him. And led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. We know who that is, right? Annas, which is really the father-in-law of the high priest at that point. We'll get into that. And Peter was following 
at a distance. I will say this, at least Peter was following at a distance. So where are we in this story? I don't know. Are you standing in the garden or are you laying down in the, in the field? It's my hope and prayer that if you've not made a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will put all of these things out of your head that tells you why you should not receive Him and focus on what the Bible says. I have chosen some to be my children. Erwin Luther says this, if you're wondering... If you're one of the chosen, receive Jesus now. And then there's no wondering anymore. That's what you do. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. God, I'm a mess. I can't, I can't fix my life. I can't fix anybody else's life. I'm desperate or I'm so overjoyed in sin. I can't even tell that you exist. Somehow something in me is saying... Receive Christ now. And I pray that's what he's saying to you, and I pray you will. And here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I believe you are who you say you are. And I repent of my sins. I turn my back on my sins. Not that you will never sin again, but I want to never sin again. And I receive you. That's salvation. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to have prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Blessings. Amen.